Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. So we're going to look at these three parables. The parable of the field, the wheat and the tares. The parable of the mustard seed. And the parable of the leaven. So we're going to talk about of men, of mustard, and of leaven. We're going to talk about the kingdom. So read with me, follow with me, beginning in verse 24 of Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and at the time of the harvest I will say to the reapers, First, gather the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you have given us ears to hear and eyes to see, that you have opened our hearts to hear your gospel, to hear these parables of the kingdom, and to understand them and to know that our hope and our life is in Jesus. Father, we ask that you would take us and use us for your glory, that the Holy Spirit dwelling in us would change us and conform us to the image of the Son of glory, that we would be salt and light, your witnesses in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So these three parables, the parable of the good seed sown in the field, of the wheat and the, the tares, of the mustard seed, and of the leaven. And it says that Jesus spoke to them with parables. And later on, as Jesus finished presenting these parables to the multitudes, then when Jesus was with his disciples, they were like, Jesus, why do you always speak in parables? Can you explain to us what's going on here? And Jesus gave them the explanation of these parables. Now, we could spend the whole time just on one of these parables. But I wanted to look at these three parables today, and I want to look specifically at one aspect of each of these parables, and that is how Jesus introduces each of these parables. 
For instance, in verse 24, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So, the kingdom of heaven is like a man. So, you should make a note of that. Then in the next parable, in verse 31, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. So, the kingdom of heaven is like a man. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And then in the last parable here of these three, in verse 33, Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took. Now, Jesus is not being um, a male chauvinist pig here, saying that only women make bread and men can't. I mean, it was just, it was just women generally made the bread. Now, we don't, we don't make bread anymore except on, I don't know, maybe some of you do. But most people don't get up every day and make bread and, and to have their bread every day. Sometimes, you know, um, it, you make bread on special occasions or certain things, but... In much of the world still today, people get up every morning and they make bread. And in some places, they have no way of baking bread, so guess where they take their bread to? The baker. You know why he's called a baker? Because his job is to bake everybody's bread. So in various parts of the world, people get up, they mix their dough. They make their dough. They pat it out. They send their son or their daughter, go to the baker and take my bread. And they take their bread, their dough to the baker, and the baker bakes their bread. And then later on, they go in there, pick up their bread from the baker. And they have their daily bread. Now, we don't live in that world anymore. We go to H-E-B or to Walmart or to wherever, and we buy our bread that's already been baked in a commercial industrial factory that just turns out loaves of bread. It's wrapped up in a nice wrapper, and it has to sit for a pretty long time before it actually spoils because it's got preservatives in it. But have you ever noticed that the bread you make at home your homemade bread actually spoils quicker than the store-bought bread? There's a reason for that. That's really not what my sermon's about today, but we won't talk about that. I could go on a rabbit trail there, but we won't. But the point is, Jesus is speaking to a culture. The context is a woman took leaven and she mixed it into her three measures of meal. Now, there's another interesting aspect here that we'll talk about in that third parable. But here's what I want you to see at the very beginning here. I want you to notice this. The kingdom of heaven is like a man, it's like a mustard seed, and it's like leaven. And this informs us about something, a truth about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
the kingdom of heaven is sown by men through their efforts, through their work, through the living of their lives. And so think about a farmer. This pictures for us a farmer. How does a farmer plant his crop? He has to go out and sow seed in his field. Ask any farmer how his crop gets planted, and he'll tell you, I plant it. Now, he might have tractors and mechanical means that he uses versus back in the old day where they had a seed sack with seed, and they just went out and they cast seed all over their field. But the point is, however the farmer sows the seed, in some parts of the world, they still have seed sacks, and they sow their feed. Here we have farmers driving tractors with implements that are putting the seed in the ground, plowing the furrows, putting the seed, fertilizing the seed. But the point is, guess what? The farmer still has to go out and put the seed in the field. The seed does not put itself in the field, except all those weeds that grow in your garden all the time. And you wonder, how did these weeds get in my garden? I pulled them all out, and next thing I know, they're all there again. Well, there are ways that weeds get in our fields. In this parable, the farmer sowed the good seed in his field, and an enemy also came and sowed bad seed in the field. Now, there's a lot there that we could talk about, the good seed and the bad seed. And we go back to the book of Genesis in the very beginning when Jesus first, when the Lord first talks about seed, and he's talking about the Lord Jesus. When God is saying to the serpent, I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. The seed of the woman will come one day and he will, and, and, and God uses that personal pronoun, he will crush your head. And he will come from where? He will come from the seed of the woman. He is the seed of the woman. So Jesus is that seed that was promised from the very beginning. And so the world God created, he created on purpose to witness to us, to teach us, to help us understand how the kingdom works. How did Jesus get here? He came through a seed. How does the wheat grow? It comes through a seed. How do we harvest a crop? We harvest it from seeds. And it grows and matures and produces fruit. And what is that fruit? It's simply more seeds waiting to be planted again. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. So men have to sow the good seed of God's word for the kingdom to grow. The kingdom does not grow apart from men sowing seed. That's very important for us to understand. Then it says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed a man took and sowed. Now Jesus tells us, he's still talking about seeds here. 
and he's still talking about sowing. Now he's gone from talking about the man who sows the seed to the seed that is sown by the man. So the kingdom of heaven is a seed that is sown by a man. And this particular seed, Jesus calls it a mustard seed. And Jesus tells us that the mustard seed is the smallest seed. So Jesus uses a parable of a mustard seed, the smallest seed, to help us understand something about the kingdom. So if we just look at the smallness of that seed, we might think this is never going to become anything. This is never going to make a difference. But yet Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air came and nest in its branches. If we look at the smallness of what is sown, the seemingly insignificance of this seed, we may miss the truth that Jesus is conveying about the kingdom. The kingdom, when we sow it, can seem small and insignificant. When you speak the word of God, when you share the gospel of Christ, when you give witness to the Lord, you're sowing the seeds of the kingdom into ground. And you may think that that was a very small seed. I don't know if this seed is going to do anything. But Jesus says the kingdom is like a mustard seed a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it grows and becomes the greatest of all the herbs, even a tree that the birds can come and nest in. So this seed that is so small, so insignificant, actually becomes something that is a haven for life and a producer of life. That's the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, don't look at the smallness of the seed that's planted. Look at the result that will come from the planting of that seed. Don't look at the smallness and don't think, how can this small thing make a difference? We may be tempted to think, I don't know how my words can make a difference. I don't know how this small thing can make a difference. And we could just say... Well, I don't think it will, and we not sow our seed. We not put our seed in the ground because we think it won't make a difference. But we're not the ones that make the seed grow. Do you understand that? You plant it, but you don't make it grow. And you didn't make the seed. God made the seed, and he made it small on purpose to grow into something much greater than its beginning. And this is what Jesus is teaching us here. This is why the Bible says don't despise the days of small beginnings. Don't look at the smallness of that seed and think that it can't grow into something great. And Jesus says be like a faithful farmer and sow your seed into the ground and trust that it will grow into what it is supposed to grow into. In this parable, we see a metaphor of this small seed being planted into this field. 
And if we look at the smallness of what is sown, we will miss the reality of what that seed will grow into and the life it will provide and the transformation that will take place in bringing life and reproducing life. So the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. A man took and sowed in his field. And then in this last parable, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a woman. The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. Now this this would have taken these Jewish hearers, and this is who Jesus is talking to. And Jesus is purposeful in what he's saying. I mean, think about it. Could have said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in a lump of meal till it was all leaven. But he says that a woman took and hid in three measures of meal. And what this would take these Jewish believers back to, these Jewish hearers back to, is Genesis 18.6. When Father Abraham was minding his own business one day, and all of a sudden three men appeared to him. And when he looked at those three men he realized that the Lord had come to visit him. And he tells his servant, go and kill an animal and prepare it, get milk and get butter. And he tells Sarah, he says, get three measures of wheat and make bread. Now, when I hear three measures of wheat, you know, I'm just in my, in my Western mentality I'm just thinking about me being in my kitchen and measuring out three cups of wheat to make bread or something. But that measure there, each measure was 12 quarts of wheat. So they're, they're making a pretty good amount of bread here. Why three? Three represents all kinds of things. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You have the Trinity of God. You have three that represents creation, the earth, the firmament, and the heavens. You have three that represents the nature of man. Man is body, man is soul, man is spirit. I don't know what the three is significant here. Of I don't know what it's signifying. Maybe it's signifying all of that. But I think it's fair to say what, what we know for sure it is signifying is this. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till it was all leaven. The point is that the leaven that goes into the meal leavens all of the meal. 
So we have the advantage as believers of having the ending of the story written for us already. We don't have to wonder how the story ends. We often live our lives as as if we don't know how the story ends because we get caught up in fear and questioning and uncertainty and we look at the world around us and we let the world begin to define our belief system instead of allowing our belief system to define the world. God has given us his story that he's still writing and we don't have all the detail of all the story but we know how the story ends. The good guys win in the end. Jesus conquers. He's already conquered. We don't even have to wonder whether Jesus will conquer one day. He has already conquered. I mean, before the story was written, the the ending was written. Before the first word was penned, before the first word was uttered, we... God already knew how the story would end. Before God said, let there be light, Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the world. There has never been a question whether the leaven will leaven all of the lump or not. And if we think of the lump as creation, if we think of the lump as everything, it leavens all. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And you know what the leaven does? It leavens all. There's not anything that's not going to be leavened by the leaven. There's not anything in creation, of creation, that will not ultimately be leavened by the leaven. It's going to leaven all of it. This is the kingdom. This is a promise that God gives to us. The Holy Spirit is pictured here by this woman. Now, God is not defined by gender the way we understand gender. I don't think we should neuter God, and I don't think God should be uh, spoken of as a neutral being. He is written of, spoken of, declared to be the Father. He is God. It's not she is God, it's not it is God, it's not they are God, he is God. And that speaks to us, that that helps us understand something, but, but understand, just as Jesus said to the woman at the well, God is a spirit. So God is not defined biologically, gender wise, the way we are. So in the Hebrew, When the Hebrew talks about the Holy Spirit, the Hebrew uses a feminine part of the language. So it speaks of it in the feminine. And it's not saying the Holy Spirit's a woman. That's not the point. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit does is is very similar to what women do. What do women do? I mean, think about the difference between men and women. And if you don't think there's a difference between men and women, more than just physical anatomy, you just are blind. I mean, because men can take something and maybe they can make it work. You know, it's like it's been said, men can build a house, 
but it takes a woman to make it a home. And that's not a knock against men. That's just reality. A man can build a house, but a woman makes a house a home. It's like a lot of things men do. It's like, well, why don't we just do it? Why do we have to frou-frou it up? Why, why do we have to frou-frou it up? That is, that is the work of glorification. The work of the Holy Spirit is the work of glorification. God is being glorified in the earth. It was the Spirit who hovered over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And God's word went forth, but the Spirit was there working. Who lives in you now? The Bible says the Spirit lives in you now. And if we go to Romans chapter 8, verse 29 and 30, what do we see? we see that ultimately our end is to be glorified. Guess who's in you bringing you to glory? The Holy Spirit is. So in this parable of the woman who takes three measures of meal and mixes it with a little bit of leaven and then the whole, all of the meal, all of the lump, all of the dough eventually is leavened. Is a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit in the earth, in creation, in each one of us, and in all of us collectively. Because what kind of bride is Jesus coming back for? A spotted wrinkle bride? No, a bride without spot or wrinkle. By the washing of the water of the word, Jesus will present to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. Do you know what brides do on their wedding day? They make sure their dresses don't get dirty before the wedding. If it's raining and muddy outside, you you won't typically see a bride running around out there splashing around in mud puddles in her nice white dress. In fact, she's working very hard to make sure if she has to make the journey from one place to another, she does not get her dress dirty. Why is that? What's the big deal? about being clean at the wedding. What's the big deal? Why don't we just show up to the wedding with mud all over us and manure all over us? And why does it matter? Why do we put clean clothes on? Why do we take a bath? Why do we brush our hair if we have hair? Why do we put on clean clothes? Why do we try to make ourselves as presentable as we can? And those are just the guests. And then you've got the bride. And why is it that at the wedding you've got to have flowers and lace and 
all this stuff to make it look really nice. What, what's the deal about that? Why can't we just go into a building and get the ceremony done and get it over with? And I know some people do that, but typically, when you think about weddings, I mean, why do you have to have a wedding cake? I mean, why don't you just go buy a Betty Crocker cake mix and make you a cake? And everybody just eat some cake. Buy you a can of that frosting and pop the top and just spread it on that cake and just, just have cake. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, it all goes into the same place and all comes out of the same place. It ain't going to come out like it looked when it went in. You know what I mean? So why go to all the trouble? Why do I have to have a wedding cake all decorated and tall and fancy? It's called glorification. That's what women do. They glorify things. They make things beautiful. They make a house a home. They make sure the wedding is glorious, is beautiful. And that has nothing to do with the amount of money you spend on your wedding. It has to do with the heart and the effort that goes into that. Because the point is, we're, we're glorifying this. Why? People that don't even believe in God do this. Why? Because we're created in God's image. There's something in us that makes us want to glorify things. There's something in women that makes them want to glorify things. This is why the woman is putting leaven in the lump to leaven all of it. It's a picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the earth right now. It's a picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing in your life right now. It's a picture of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the church right now. She is working like that woman. That Holy Spirit is like that woman that is working. Holy Spirit's not a she. But you understand what I mean. There is a process of glorification taking place. This is why the kingdom is like leaven. Like leaven a woman took and mixed in the meal until all of it was leavened. This is what God is doing. This is what we see at the end of the story, at the end of the book. When there's a new heaven and a new earth and death is no more, and tears and sadness are no more. They're going to be wiped away and you'll never shed them again. There'll be no death. There'll be no darkness. There is the eternal flow of the river of life. And the water is available to all. And the Spirit says, come. And the bride says, come. And we have this picture of glory. Of eternal glory. This, that's the lump all leavened. That's all of creation. The earth, the firmament, the heavens, and the heaven of heavens. It's all of it filled with the glory that the Spirit of God is working, working in the lump, working to leaven the whole thing.
This is the work of the Spirit. It's a catalyst for change and transformation in us individually and in us corporately. The kingdom of heaven is like a man. Is like a man. We have to sow the word for the kingdom to be planted in the field. So that seed can grow into what God has destined it to grow into. Death is a reality. I dealt with it a lot this weekend. And that's just a very, very small picture. You think of the amount of death and destruction that is happening across this globe. It is staggering. And do you know that we're very focused on death and destruction? I noticed that the news printed about the death of a grandmother and the death of a 20-month-old baby, and, and I'm not saying they shouldn't. But I never read articles about today this woman became a grandmother to this grandbaby. And do you know that there are a lot more grandmothers becoming grandmothers to grandbabies than there are grandmothers dying with their grandbabies? Do you hear what I'm saying? We're focused on death and destruction because that's what the world wants us to be focused on because that's what sells newspapers, quite frankly. No one wants to read about the woman who became a grandmother, but everyone wants to find about the grandmother who died with her grandbaby. I was coming back last night from the hospital from another fatality with our victim's assistance coordinator, and she said, I don't understand people. She said, people, people are, it's horrible. She said, why, why do people would go out of their way to drive because they want to see the accident. They want to see. They've got to see. I said, yeah, people are curious. She goes, yeah, I know, but she said, that's just sick. She said, create traffic jams so they can just drive and see. They want to see what's going on. They want to see death. They want to see that. She said, I don't understand that. That's why the news reports all the negative things, because that's what people want to read about. They don't want to hear about the baby that was born. They want to hear about the baby that died. Now, you might want to hear about the baby that was born. If it's your family, your friends, people in your circle of influence, but you're not doing Google searches to find out all the babies that were born today. But we do hear headlines, we see, and we hear reports, and we Google, and we want to find out about that baby that died, that, that grandmother who died. That's just human nature. That's, I think, part of our fallen nature. We're curious beings. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with being curious about those things. But there's a reason why death and destruction sells newspapers and gets ratings up on News networks, they do special, they call them special interest stories. Now think about this, special interest stories, a special interest. Those are the feel-good stories. But typically, we're not leading with the feel-good story, we're leading with death and destruction. And if we're not careful, we'll think that death and destruction is what defines the world. But it doesn't, I promise you it doesn't. You know how I know it doesn't and how you should know it doesn't? 
Do you know that this world got down to eight people at one time? I mean, it only started with, with two, a creation. Then we had a whole world of people. And the world was so wicked, so evil, God destroyed it all except for eight people. And look at us today. How many people do we have on planet Earth? Seven to eight billion? And if you don't believe the story of the flood is true, you should do some objective research. But do you know that people that don't even believe the Bible and don't believe the flood story will tell you, they know this, scientists know this. I have an agnostic friend who's into all of this. And they will tell you, scientists know that the population of the world, because they've done the research genetically, population of the world got down to a very small number. They think it was a great asteroid from space that came and landed somewhere in the ocean and killed all the dinosaurs and killed most of the people, except for a very small number of people. And the world recovered from that. Now, I don't know about asteroids and all that stuff, but I do know that my God teaches me that he destroyed the earth by flood and left eight people on it and, and opened the door of that ark, and Noah came out with his family, and from those eight, here we are today. But we would believe that death and destruction is winning the day, but the reality tells us different. Life wins. Life wins. It doesn't matter who die. It doesn't matter how many die. It doesn't matter if they're close to you or if they're strangers and you don't even know. People are dying right now, but guess what? People are being born right now. My grandbaby was born this morning. Life wins because God is the author of life. And God created you and he created this world for life. And go to the back of the book and read the end of the story and you will see that life wins. So don't let death fool you. Don't let the purveyors of bad news fool you into thinking death and destruction is winning the day because it is not. Life wins. Even when the babies die, life wins. Even when the grandmothers die, life wins. Even when the wars are raging and people are being slaughtered, life wins. Because the kingdom is growing and the Holy Spirit is in the earth working bringing about the glorification of all things so that in that day, God and God alone will be glorified because he and he alone has given us the victory in Jesus Christ. Jesus conquered death. Death has no power over you if you are in Christ. And the life of God and the life force of God and the life of the kingdom and the power of the kingdom cannot be stopped by death. Death has been defeated. It can't be stopped by the devil. The devil has been defeated. There is nothing that can stop what God has started. Nothing. So you remember that. You think about that. When death raises its ugly head, just remember 
and remind him death has been defeated, life wins. Whose side are you on? If you're on the side of life, you win. So don't despair, even in the face of death. God has made a promise. He is leavening the whole lump, and it will be leavened. And there is nothing that's going to stop it. Now think about dough. Think about when you mix that in there. You can't just go find that leaven and take it out and stop the leavening process. Once it's in there, it's in there. That's the way the Holy Spirit is in the earth. That's the way the life of God is in this earth. There's no one that can take it out. There's no one that can stop it. It's been mixed in, and it is working, and it's going to work until the whole thing has been leavened. Good news. We win. So don't despair. Amen. Let's get ready to come to the table. So you probably have friends and family. You need to remind them of that. That's the reality. That's the truth. Don't believe the lie. Trust Jesus. He is trustworthy. Look to Jesus. He has won us the victory. So as you trust Jesus, come to the table. So here's your charge. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed. God charges us to be men and women sowing good seed into this world. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed a man took and sowed in his field. Be men and women who don't look at the smallness of the seed, but look at the greatness that it will produce and sow it in faith. Believing and trusting, not what your eyes see, but what God has declared. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven a woman took and mixed into, hid in the lump, and it leavened the entire lump. As you sow your seed, as you trust in the seed that you're sowing and in the greatness that it will produce, know that it is not you, it's not your work. It is your faithfulness, it is your obedience, but ultimately it is the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. Some plant, some water, but God brings the increase. We can plant the seed, but we can't make it grow. God makes it grow. We can declare the kingdom, but we can't make the kingdom do anything. But God has promised by His Holy Spirit, He is working and He will work until the whole lump, until the whole creation is filled with his glory. And in that day, the prophet declares that the, as the waters cover the seas, so the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth. In that day, we will know the leaven has done its work and the whole lump is leavened and we will be in eternal glory. That is the end of the book. That's the end of our story, but it's not the end of us because we have eternal life and eternal glory in Jesus. Death loses, life wins. Be hopeful, be faithful, be obedient, be good sowers. Sow in faith and trust in the work of the Spirit. Amen. Father, we thank you for the food we're going to eat today. We thank you for uh, this time together to fellowship and to break bread. And we thank you for our missionaries that 
Lord, all that we collect today will go to support. And we pray for them. We pray that you encourage them and keep them faithful, God, that you would just pour your love into their hearts and that they would walk in the strength of your joy every day. Father, we thank you for them and the work that they are doing. Help us to be faithful, to support them, to pray for them. Father, thank you. Let this food be nourishment to us and let this fellowship be glorious to you. Let's sing our thanks.